Uh, well, my name is Ryan, and I'm uh, one of the pastors on our ministry team here. And I love great stories. I love inspiring stories. Do you all like seeing good news in the news? A lot of times it's all bad. So I love to hear great stories about people who are doing kind things for others. And I've got a great story I want you to check out this morning. We'll take one look at this photo, and it is hard to ignore the religious imagery as a man uses a bottle of water to wash and dry the feet of a complete stranger on the side of the road. Tonight, he's being called a good Samaritan, and for good reason, too. Megan Thompson shows us how he literally lived the lesson taught in the Bible parable. The man was crawling on the ground, using socks on his hands to try and protect himself and his pants, just enough for the scorching temperatures. And one volunteer decided he was going to stop right in the middle of the road and give this man a lifeline. David Lee Witherspoon Jr. is a man who wears many hats, or shoes more like it. Kind of like Mr. Rogers. (laughs) So I had a lot of shoes that day. He switches out his souls depending on the job, from working at the Phoenix VA to volunteering as president of one of St. Vincent de Paul's food pantries. So last week, while he was leaving this nonprofit near the I-17 and 7th Avenue... I noticed there's a man crawling, so, you know, I stopped my car. I didn't even pull over. I just, I just saw him right away, so I got out and I asked him. I said, sir, what's wrong? The man told him he had an argument at home, now living on the street and didn't grab any shoes when he left. A lot of people give up on people now, and that's the biggest problem. This- Instead of giving up, he gave. It was a pair of shoes he used, but knew someone needed it more. I mean, you don't have to, like, empty your wallet or anything like that. Just a simple kind act. Simply giving this man a chance to stand tall again on his own two feet. Reporting in Phoenix, Megan Thompson, ABC 15. Well, David Witherspoon gives us a tremendous example as we look at our Bibles today. We're, today, as we get ready to jump into our Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you want to go there now, uh, it's also a great opportunity for you to take your bulletin, grab your sermon notes. You can fire up the JCI app. You'll see all the scripture right there. I want to welcome those who are streaming online from wherever you are in the world. Uh, but during the summer, uh, we have been looking at the teachings of Jesus, right? He is a tremendous and master storyteller. We call them the parables of Jesus. We've been looking at the word parable. It's uh, two Greek words coming together, uh, together, parabolo, which basically means to throw or to lay or to place alongside for the purpose of comparison. Now, in other words, a parable is an earthly story that is revealed to have a spiritual meaning for those who are willing to look a little bit deeper to allow it to touch their heart and to change their life. Well, this week we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Almost everyone has heard of this parable. Even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. But chances are you have heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, before we begin, we always like to pray and really ask God to speak to us before we look at his word. So would you bow your heads with me as we just pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, we're your people here today listening. We're going to look into your word, how you speak to us on a daily basis. And we just pray, Lord, our hearts are ready. Please speak to us. Your servants are here ready to do what you would have us to do because you love us. Speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you would follow along with me as I read. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As I was uh, reading this scripture and writing this message, uh, two goals came to mind that I want to have for us today that I want all of us to strive for, and that is to help you to understand what true mercy and compassion look like. For you to understand what true mercy and compassion look like and to inspire you to be a good neighbor. Each week we've been answering two questions to help us to understand these parables. What's this parable and what's the point? So question one, what is this parable? And as we've been doing, we've been comparing two things as we look at the scripture. We're going to be comparing the lack of mercy and compassion showed by two religious leaders compared to the mercy and compassion displayed by a Samaritan. Now, remember in the parables, he, uh, Jesus often would transport his listeners, so to speak. Not, he wouldn't telepathically send them somewhere else, but he would, he would transport them in a scene or a setting that they would be very familiar with. And here, his mostly Jewish listeners would be very familiar with the walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. They would be very familiar with this 17 miles of dangerous, curvy, windy, uh, at, uh, Long stretches where they had uh, familiarity with the danger of this road. They would also be very familiar with the characters in this story. The Jewish uh, religious leaders as well as the very hated Samaritans. See, for hundreds of years, in fact nearly a thousand years, the uh, Samaritans and the Jews had been uh, battling each other all the time. And it stretches all the way back from when the north and the south kingdom split. Now, I, I go into more detail uh, this week. Uh, in the first service, I joked and called it my Activate podcast. And Pastor Christian was sitting right here. And I said, I'm sorry, I mean your Activate podcast. I said, I was a special guest on the broadcast. And I thought, well, maybe for the last time. Uh, but we uh, talked a little bit more in detail about uh, what happens uh, between the Samaritans and the Jews and why there's such dissension between the two. So to his audience, it's likely that they, they could think of situations because they were familiar with this stretch of road. Just like if you and I were going to go downtown, 
No doubt we could already in our minds begin to picture whether you took 71 Highway or whether you took I-35. Right now you can begin to picture the dangerous spots, the spots where you got to slow down or the spots where you've seen people on the side of the road because of an accident or you knew a place that you better not stop here. It could get a little dangerous. We all would be able to picture that. So I believe as we look at this parable, there are at least four parable parallels that we will be comparing that we need to know if we're going to understand this parable. So the four parable parallels, in other words, what do the actions of four people will look at? What do the actions of four people tell us about what, uh, who and what Jesus wants us to be and who he wants us, uh, what he wants us to do and who he wants us to be? So this parable teaches us that knowing the right answers doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Knowing the right answers doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Did you see uh, what happened in Luke 10, 27 through 28? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? See, the expert in the law had the right answers. But Jesus knew that there was a heart issue going on. There was something missing in that man's heart. And we need to know that knowing the right answers doesn't always cause us to do the right thing. How many times have we been doing something and maybe we were doing something we shouldn't or maybe we didn't do something and we got in trouble for it and the first thing we say is, I know, I know, I'm not supposed to do that. Or I know, I know, I should have done that. Now, my son is getting ready to turn 16 in September, and uh, I can remember, and he's going to be driving, and I can remember when I was 16, and uh, I had a job, and so on the way home from a job, literally I'd been 16 like three weeks, and I was giving someone a ride and probably not being very smart. I wasn't being very smart. I got a ticket literally in the first three weeks of turning 16. And I got home and I showed the ticket to my mom. And of course she said, how many times have I told you not to speed? You're going to get a ticket. And I said, I know, I know I shouldn't have been speeding. I shouldn't have been doing that. So knowing the right thing, knowing the right answers doesn't always cause you to do the right thing as well as knowing uh, knowledge doesn't cause us to act more like Jesus. It just doesn't. Knowledge doesn't act, uh, make us act more like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, don't get me wrong. I yearn for knowledge. I love to, to learn new things. I love to study. I learn to, to learn more about the Bible, but it means nothing. Learning means nothing if it doesn't change us, if it doesn't transform us, if it doesn't cause us to act like Jesus, if it doesn't cause us to serve more like Jesus. It's just information if it doesn't transform us. So knowing the right answers doesn't cause you to do the right thing. And number two, having the right title doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Luke ten thirty one, a priest happened to be going down the same road. You can picture this. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
Now, the people who Jesus is telling this story to, no doubt, would have looked up to the Levitical priests as a spiritual authority. The title of priest would, would bring respect. Uh, it would bring authority. So when they would have heard that this man they looked up to passed by on the other side, I, I would imagine it, it shocked them a little bit. And I would assume that you would expect your ministry team leaders here, you would expect the pastors at our church to do the right thing when something came about. Now, we're human. We don't always do the right thing. But there's an expectation that your your ministry leaders, your pastors would do the right thing. And hear the people, what do they hear? They hear someone they looked up to with a title. They see him passing by on the other side. And the law expressly required... This priest, it, the, the, the law required the opposite of passing by on the other side. If you look in Exodus chapter 23, 4 through 5, it says this, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. You see, some have tried to uh, get the Jewish priest off the hook by saying that the reason, the reason he didn't help the victim is that he didn't want to incur ritual or ceremonial defilement by coming into contact with a dead body. See, the Old Testament law uh, said that you had to stay at least six uh, feet away from a corpse or you became ceremonially defiled and were then cut off from being able to go into the temple. And, of course, the priest served in the temple, so that would have been a problem. This man was severely beaten and half dead, so perhaps the priest thought this man was dead and he wanted to avoid him because he needed to stay ceremonially clean. But did you notice the direction that they were going? They were going from Jerusalem, where the temple was, to Jericho. He was going home. He had already served. He was on his way home. Normally, they would go for a couple of weeks, serve at the temple, and then return home. He was on his way home from work. So the thought of being defiled and not being able to serve wouldn't have applied here. He simply passed by on the other side. We don't know why, but he passed by on the other side. Now, before we get upset with the priest, because if you're like me, sometimes you read the Bible and we get a little holier than thou and think, well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done the right thing. I would have stopped and I would have made sure in all these instances of the Bible, if I was there, it would have been different. Right. You know, how many times have we used the card? I'm the boss. Then I don't have to do that. I'm the boss. I don't do that anymore. I'm the team leader. I don't have that responsibility anymore. I don't need to do that. Hey, I'm the VP and VPs. We don't pick up trash in the parking lot. Or, hey, I'm the senior sales rep, and I've earned the right not to have to do that anymore. Don't you know what my title is? My title is I don't have to do those things anymore. We've all heard those excuses, and perhaps we've all used those excuses of why we didn't do the right thing or we didn't, uh, uh, or why we perhaps passed by on the other side. So having the right title doesn't cause you to do the right thing. And number three, we see through this parable, uh, parable that the, having the right family doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Luke ten thirty two. he continued, So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. See, the Levites, because of the tribe, because of the family that they were in, they, they had the responsibility to take care of the temple. 
God had selected that tribe at the time of Moses to take care of the tabernacle. And so if you were in the Levitical tribe or the Levitical family, it was, it was your role. It was your role to serve God, and it had been for over a thousand years. And in this case, Jesus seems to point out that being in that tribe or being in that family didn't cause this man to do the right thing. The, the Levite, he had the family, he had the tribal responsibility to represent God, and he didn't do it. And again, before we judge the Levite, we have to think about ourselves. How many perhaps in this room, perhaps in our church, perhaps in any churches, have said, hey, I grew up in church. I have been going to church since I was a baby. The Sunday after I was born, my parents took me to church. And because of those facts, I'm a Christian. Because of those things, I am in the family of God. But the, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you Based on that, do you do the right thing? Have you done the same thing in similar situations? Have you passed by on the other side when perhaps you know you should not have? I wish the answer was always yes, that we would do the right thing because of the family that we grew up in or because we were a part of a family that always went to church. I think we would live in a different world today if that was the case, if those who were always reared in a Christian home would always do the right thing. Saying you're a Christian and living as a Christian are two different things. Saying you're a Christian and living as one are two different things. And being in the right family doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Now, this is speculation, but I, but I think it's fair to, to say people who've been to Israel, and our church has been there several times, we've taken people there to not only serve with some of our mission partners, but to see uh, the Bible land and see why you can trust the Bible. But those who've been on this road have said there are stretches where you can see quite a ways in the future. Or quite a that would be cool. There are, you can see quite a ways in the distance, right? Long stretches, 17 miles. You've got to imagine there are stretches where you could see maybe a mile ahead. And it's thought that perhaps this Levite coming second after he saw the priest, after he saw the priest, meaning he might have been just close enough where he looked up, said that That priest just walked by, or when he got there, thought, I saw a priest. I knew I was behind him. And I'm not as as holy as him. I'm not as important as that priest. And if that priest is justified or is justifying himself walking by that guy, guess what? I'll do the same thing. And we have to ask ourselves, do we realize that people are watching us? What example are we setting that perhaps people are watching a little bit ahead? Are we leading the way? Are we leading the way and helping people? One of the great verses I love is 1 Corinthians 8, 11, or 8, 1, and it's, it's Paul, and he says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, our neighbors are watching us. Our coworkers are watching us. They're looking to see if we are actually living as a Christian because the greatest demonstration of how we love God is how we love others. Literally, I really think the greatest demonstration of how we love God is how we love others. And we don't, we don't know what motivated the priest and the Levite to ignore the man and to pass by on the other side. Maybe, maybe they're afraid. They knew there was a dangerous part. Maybe they thought, I don't want to get beat up too. I, right, I get that. But for whatever reason, they were, they, Jesus pointed it out that they were an example of what not to do. 
We'll never know exactly why they didn't stop, but they were given as an example of what not to do. See, having the right answers doesn't cause you to do the right thing, and neither does having the right title, and neither does being in the right family. None of those things can cause you or will cause you to do the right thing. But the fourth parallel is this. Having the right heart will cause you to do the right thing. Luke ten thirty three says, But a, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You see, they all, they all saw the man. All of them, but only the Samaritan stopped. Only he had pity on him. It was a heart issue, and the Samaritan had the right heart. Now, remember, this was a hated Samaritan that Jesus is saying did the right thing, as having the merciful and compassionate response to this man. Jesus, in fact, is commending his heart. Jesus commended the heart of the Samaritan because of his actions. And to the Jewish audience, this would probably have really caused them uh, a lot of problems. They would have been upset. How dare he? Did he just commend a hated Samaritan? Like, we hate them. Does He knows that. Why, why is he commending them? They're supposed to be our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, it's interesting. Jesus had already addressed this issue. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 30, uh, 43 and 44, he said, You have heard that it was said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Certainly Jesus isn't trying to stir the pot between the Jews and the Samaritans. He's not trying to cause any problems here. He doesn't want them hating the Samaritan. In fact, the parable isn't even about what they think of the Samaritan. Right? The parable isn't about what they think of the Samaritan. He's just a character. He's just, he's just a person in the parable who exemplified the right heart. Jesus could have used anybody for this example, right? Jesus could have used anyone, but what better way to get your point across than to shock people? And hopefully, the audience was thinking, hopefully, right? If their mind wasn't skewed, hopefully they were thinking, if that no good person we hate, that no good nasty Samaritan was doing the right thing, had the heart to do the right thing, what, what should I do? That's what we hope was happening in their hearts. That's, that's what we hope this example is doing. But hopefully their thinking wasn't skewed. And a lot of times our thinking can be skewed by things that can influence us to think badly about people based on uh, how they talk or they look different or they have a different religion. And you have to ask yourself today, have you allowed anything to skew your thinking about why you would be a neighbor to them? And so as we review the parables... As we review these parables, you have to know that knowing, knowing the right answers doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Having the right title doesn't cause you to do the right thing. Having the right family doesn't cause you to do the right thing. And neither, but having the right heart will cause you to do the right thing. Now, remember though, this parable isn't about the fact he was a Samaritan. The listeners might have gotten caught up with that, and it may have distracted them. But this parable isn't even about the man who was half dead in the ditch. Because we know nothing about him, and neither, neither did they. All they know is there's a, a half-naked guy. In order to really know anything about him, they would have had to have a conversation with him. But they didn't talk. He was half dead. They would have had to, to, to see what he was wearing. A lot of times, based on how you dress, would determine where you were from and who you were. They didn't know anything about him. It was just a man... This story is about a man lying in a ditch and who was willing to help him? Who was willing to help him? And that brings us 
to the point of this parable. So question two, what is the point of this parable? Number one, the point one is we should have a merciful and compassionate heart like Jesus. Jesus is sharing this parable because this story is the heart of God. Merciful and compassionate. The story is the heart of God. And if we look at the Greek words of mercy, in the Greek it's elios, it means kindness or goodwill to the miserable and the afflicted. The word compassion, the Greek word uh, symphonia, and basically means to be have sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or the misfortunes of others. Now remember, mercy and compassion are not just feelings that we're supposed to have. Hey, I feel bad for you. I've got pity on you. No, there's supposed to be things that we give. We're supposed to give mercy. We're supposed to give compassion. God showed us, right? Those of you who know my testimony, I've shared it many times over the last eight years of the church. If you know my testimony, I was a pretty sinful guy. God showed me amazing mercy and compassion, helping a sinful man like me come to know him and love him and for him to forgive me. He showed us great compassion and mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins, it is by grace you have been saved. God shows us so much mercy. Now, when I grew up, there was a, uh, a really great comedian that I love to watch. Many of you may be familiar with him. His name was Jeff Foxworthy. And he had such great one-liners. What made him famous? You might be a redneck if. Right? He had all these great lines. Uh, if you ever spray-painted your girlfriend's name on an overpass, you might be a redneck. If you've ever made change in the church offering, you might be a redneck. <laughs> if you own a home with wheels and many cars that don't have wheels, you might be a redneck. And I could, I wish, I literally would love just the rest of the day to go on with Jeff Foxworthy jokes, but, but I can't. Uh, but that would be fun. Uh, I came up with a, another list. A you might lack mercy and compassion if list. And unfortunately, it's not as funny. Um, you might lack mercy and compassion if, when you think about helping someone, you judge them before you even talk to them. You might lack mercy and compassion if you immediately think of how busy you are. You might uh, lack mercy and compassion if you consider how helping them probably won't do any good. This isn't going to help them. They're too far gone. You might lack compassion and mercy if you always think, I'm going to be late if I stop. I don't have time for that. You know, this is not the, the merciful and compassionate heart of Jesus shining through. Uh, how is your, this morning, how is your mercy and compassion meter? If you were just to do a self-assessment in this moment, how is your mercy and compassion meter? As you think of the engagements you've had with people over the last several weeks, several days, how is your mercy and compassion? See, we're supposed to live and serve like Jesus. We're supposed to have the merciful and compassionate heart like Jesus did. And that takes me to the second point, and that is we should, be, uh, we should choose to be a good neighbor to all people. Luke 10, 36 and 37 says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, 
go and do likewise. See, the parable changes the question. It changes the question from what kind of person is my neighbor to what kind of person am I? Did you catch that? It, it changes it from what kind of person is my neighbor to what kind of person am I? And, and we, we shouldn't be asking the question, what, what sort of people, Jesus, are worthy of my love? What sort of people would you want me to help? No, that's not the question. The question we should be asking is, how can we become the kind of people who would rather give love and compassion and pay no attention to someone's status, no attention to someone's race, no attention to someone's religion? We should have compassion on all people. The issue isn't whether they qualify to be our neighbor. It's about who's passing by. The issue is about who we are. The issue is about who we are and what we are like. That is the point of the parable. Now, to whom can we and to whom should we be a neighbor? Now, certainly we should be a neighbor to those who are hurting, to those who are in need. We absolutely should. But perhaps have you considered being a neighbor to maybe some others that you haven't thought of? Perhaps that coworker happens to be from a different political party who has a different thought and maybe agenda to you. Do you know that they need to hear a soft answer, even in, even in disagreement? Perhaps that uh, annoying jerk who lives next door needs some kindness and love and care. Perhaps that uh, wealthy executive that you know who lives out in the suburbs who every night is drinking himself to sleep and just needs a non-judgmental friend. Perhaps the divorced single mom who's struggling to make ends meet who could just use a load of groceries to help her to, to know that God loves her. Perhaps the parent on the soccer team who you're pretty sure wants nothing to do with Jesus. But their daughter just blew the goal on the soccer tournament and they need to feel your mercy as a compassionate Christian and show them love. You see, we, we have to ask ourselves, who have we given up on? The, the video says too many people have given up on people. Who have you given up on that could, that could use you being a neighbor to them? And something to remember, and hopefully you took notice of it, in Luke 10, 34 and 35, he said, He went to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You see, the Samaritan was prepared and to be compassionate and merciful. And there's several actions that I took notice of, and I wanted to share them with you on your notes, actions and characteristics of this Samaritan that we should model. Did you see him? He was prepared to help. He had the stuff with him to help somebody. He went the extra mile. He went above and beyond taking care of this guy. He stayed overnight. I missed this before. He literally stayed overnight caring for this man at the inn. He had nothing to gain for helping him. He ignored race. If he knew anything about it while talking to him, he ignored it. He was willing to get involved. He was generous. He gave of his own money to help this man. He obviously had a good name. He left the man with the innkeeper and was like, I'll be back. You know me. I'll, I'm good for it. If you, give, if you help anymore, I'll come back and I'll give some money to help. He had a good name. And he also gave up his transportation. Not too many of us would do that. He literally gave this man his donkey, let him ride on it, and he walked the rest of the way. See, we should be prepared to be a good neighbor to someone. 
We should be pre- prepared as an individual and maybe as a group. I've heard of small groups. One of our small groups in particular literally put together care packs so that as they're out and about in life and they see someone in need, they're prepared to give one to someone. And then when one of our other groups heard about it, guess what they did? They did the same thing. They started to make care packs and see their group inspired another group. And that leads me to my last point. And that is that our actions will inspire others to act. You know, this spring I was taking my son to school and uh, I was driving down 150, getting ready to, to uh, turn on Ward to take him to school. We were running a little bit behind. That never happens, right, when we take our kids to school. I was running a little bit behind. And I looked over on the westbound lane, and there was a lady stalled. And if you know anything about traffic, that's not good in the morning because all of a sudden it was causing a lot of problems. And about 25 feet up, there was a place where you could pull off. Uh, but she, she obviously couldn't make it there. And I was on my way to take him to school, and I thought, well, surely someone's going to stop. Well, when I came back by about 10 minutes later, no one had stopped. And so I pulled off into that little side section, and I got behind her car. I asked, can I, can I help? And she said yes, and I got behind her car. It was a hill, a little bit of a hill, because that baby wasn't moving. I'm pushing, or I need to work out a little bit more, one of the two. And I'm pushing and pushing and pushing, and I can't get this thing to, to, to move. And someone else notices that I'm helping. He pulls over in his big truck. He's got a chain. He wraps it around, and within, within two minutes, we had her moved and on her way. And what I noticed is no one stopped until one person stopped. Nobody was willing to help until one person helped, and then this man helped, and then finally a police officer helped, the person who was coming helped. When one person stopped, people were inspired. You need to know that our actions can inspire others to help. And a lot of times people wonder, who should I help? How can I be used by God? And I have this thought, who, who do you see with your own eyes? Did you catch the scripture? Jesus said a number of times, when he saw him. He said it three times. When he saw him. Each person. When he saw him. So who do you see? Who do you see that needs help? Who do you see that needs a kind word? Who do you need, uh, see that needs a friend? Who is Jesus pointing to you? He's been helping you to see this person that you're supposed to be a neighbor to. And I, and I know you can't help everyone. You can't. You can't help everyone. In fact, a lot of times we don't help anyone because we think, well, I can't do it for everyone. But Andy Sandy says it this way. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one. So who's your one? Who is your one who needs mercy and compassion shown through you? Think about it. If this whole room could help one person, think of the impact we could make. If this whole room could help one person, we could, we could start a movement because one act of mercy and compassion can literally start a movement that makes a big difference. Now, we all most likely watch TV and have seen commercials, and this is not an advertisement, so apologize in advance, Chad and my fellow other insurance friends. But how many of you remember this slogan, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there? This is not an advertisement for them but I think we could change it or it's a way that can help you remember like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. Like a good neighbor, Journey Church is there. And then here's what I want you to take home today. 
like a good neighbor, I will be there. Like a good neighbor, I will be there. See, Love Week is coming. And that's just one opportunity for us to help our community. Just one to kickstart it. And so if you haven't signed up already, I sure hope you will. There's so many great opportunities. They're going to tell you how you can sign up. There's so many great chances for us to help our community, to help our community see that we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we want to be merciful and compassionate. It's just the beginning. It is not to be the end all. It is not to say, hey, I helped one time this year, and now I don't have to be mercy and compassion anymore. Let this jumpstart your heart to be merciful and compassionate on a regular basis. Like a good neighbor, I will be there. Will you pray with me as we close? Father, we love you, and we pray for our hearts, Lord, to not only be full of mercy and compassion, but that we would also give it freely as a neighbor to those we see through your leading. Father, forgive us so many times that we've passed by. Forgive us for that, for lacking mercy and compassion. Father, help us to be good neighbors who make a difference during Love Week and in every area of our lives. Father, please, please let us, let the greatest demonstration of how we love you be in how we love others. Lord, let it begin in us. Let us, as Jesus intended in this story, let us be a good neighbor, not only to the hurting, but to those who maybe we can't see hurting on the outside, but they're hurting on the inside. Father, we love you. We need you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.